today is both a sermon and a conclusion. Uh, Our anchoring scripture has been Psalm 127, verse 1, which is, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. How many of you, the one thing you do never want to do is labor in vain? Okay, I hate putting together Ikea furniture. I doubly hate putting together Ikea furniture twice. That's in vain. So unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. And since September, together we have taught through uh, six series that we have called Build Your House. So it started with presence. The presence of God is the fragrance of God on our lives. It's the defining difference in the life of a follower of Jesus. We talked about position, positioned in God, that lost and found and dead to alive. This is the language of Scripture. Yes, it includes right and wrong, absolutely, but lost and found and dead and alive, this is more what we want to look at. It's of eternal significance. Then we moved on to looking at power, understanding that following Jesus is both a walk and a battle. It's contested space that we live in. From there, we looked, it took a whole time, a whole series of time to look at the life of Joseph as an example of a biblical Old Testament character of how we are formed and we look through his whole life. We did a series on prayer where we used the acronym P-R-A-Y, and now we are completing with provision. You know, how God provides equally, but not always evenly. And here's what is true of all of our lives. When it comes to provision, many times we can only see God's direction or leadership or purpose or plan in our lives in hindsight. We see it clearly in hindsight. We don't quite see it looking this way. It's blurry, in particular when our lives are they're, they're going through circumstances of difficulty. It's hard sometimes to see who God is and what it is that God is doing. There's some biblical ter- characters that I'll make reference of now, and one we've, I just made mention of is Joseph. When Joseph was in the palace, he could see differently than he could when he was in the pit. He could see the full scope of what God was doing all the way along. How many of you know that in the palace he could sing, Jaira? You are enough. In the pit, eh, not so much. Harder, more difficult there. It's difficult to see it. As Esther's enemy, Haman, hung on the gallows, she can, clear, she can see clearly her for such a time as this moment. And of course, after his resurrection, the disciples see Jesus with a different or a deepening trust in who he is and what he says. But what is true of them as far back as that is, is as equally true of all of us today, which is that none of us here live our lives from the future to the present. None of us do. None of us live from tomorrow to today. Every single one of us are living from where we are, maybe to where we're going, or from today into tomorrow. It's how we all live. And as a result of that, every one of us here, whether it's your first Sunday or your 19th millionth Sunday, every one of us is growing in one of two ways, and that is to trust God or to mistrust God. And what are the two primary issues when you and I mistrust? Not only God, but how about one another? Well, from experience, everyone say experience. Experience. 
from experience. We come to know if someone is trustworthy or if they shouldn't be trusted. Maybe they can be trusted with certain things, but other things, not so much. They're not quite trustworthy in those areas. So sometimes, through experience with one another, we begin to learn the degrees with which we can trust. But also... We grow and we develop sometimes trust or mistrust, not through experience, but misunderstandings. That we mistakenly believe one is not trustworthy, but what we believe, though we believe it wholeheartedly, actually isn't true. I'll give you an example. It's a famous example, but I want to pretend you're a parent for a moment. For some of you, that's not difficult, and for others of you, that's quite a stretch. But I want you to pretend you're a parent for a moment and you're in the supermarket, you're at Sobeys, and you're going up and down the aisles, and you overhear a parent just chew out their kid loud, loud enough for like the aisle three over to hear. Everybody around's like, ooh, there's a bad parent. Now I want you to picture you're the parent at Sobeys with the kid, and the kid's got on your last nerve. You have been patient all day with said child. Said child has not been a good boy or a good girl. They've been horrible, possessed by something that you know not of. (laughs) And you are in Sobeys. And it's not that it's okay, but you raise your voice like, enough, no more. Keep your hands in the card. Stop grabbing stuff. And everybody looks over at you. You want them, you would go, let me explain. So you want them to judge you by the circumstance, but when you hear another parent do it, you judge them by their character. They're a bad parent. I'm just having a bad day. This is what happens in misunderstandings. Through misunderstandings, we mistakenly believe that one isn't what we have declared them to be, that they're not trustworthy, but we can be mistaken. By a show of hands and humility, how many of you have ever made a mistake in your life? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, some of you still don't raise your hands. That's a mistake. (laughs) You know, upon deep reflection, I don't think I have. Ooh, no one comes to clarity alone. Let us illustrate for you the many ways in which you have. Amen. You know, this summer we are going to teach through the parables of Jesus, but there is one that is equal parts profound and seemingly unfair that we need to discuss today as we conclude build your house and also provision. I've taught through this parable often. It's one of my favorites, and so it's called the parable of the talents. And the reason we selected it for today is it has all the elements that we have been discussing regarding provision, all the ones Pastor Lori did last week, all the things God provides peace, God provides for our needs, God provides rest, all of it, we can see elements of it, but more so we can see different parts that we've been speaking of. It's in Matthew chapter 25, and here's how the story that Jesus tells starts. So it's a parable, it's not a true story, it's meant to be reflective of all of our lives, okay? And in the parable, put yourself in it. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Everyone say a gift. It is an entrustment of property that you didn't earn. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. Okay, it's just a gift. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Ah, evenly given not evenly distributed. We've been talking about the last couple weeks. It says, then he went away. 
And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Again, as we've made mention of, God gives, God equally gives each steward a talent which is actually an extraordinary investment, even if it's just a single talent, it is still extraordinary. And so God equally gives each steward a talent, but he doesn't give them evenly, because in this case, the master knows their ability. Some can steward five, some could steward two, and some can steward one. This does not make them better or worse in the master's judgment. He knows what it is that they can handle. And so as I read the following verses, pay attention to the misunderstanding that is sown into the story. It continues, now, after a long time, everyone say, after a long time. That is so intentional, those words there, after a long time. See, every single one of us, you know, let me finish reading it and then I'll make a comment. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. If you're a follower of Jesus, every single one of us, after a long time of living life, are going to settle accounts. He's going to settle accounts with us. Ooh. God has entrusted to us days, weeks, months, years, time, gifts, talents, treasure. And all of it we are called the steward, not for our story, but for His glory. And we are going to give an account for all of those things. The words that we speak, everything in our lives, we're going to give an account for. And it says here, after a long time, and that is intentional. Because when things are a long time away, we tend to put them off. The tyranny of the urgent takes all of our attention and all of our focus. How many know it's one thing to start a course, it's another thing to finish one? Everyone starts something with vim and vigor, and then if it's a one-year course, by February, it's like, oh my goodness, do I, why did I do this? In a long time. He says, And the one who had received five talents came forward, bringing five more talents more, excuse me, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, You're not good enough. What? Sorry? You're not as good as the one with five. Is that what it says? No. This is not a meritocracy, by the way. Our world, the one who had five and multiplied five, they would be salesmen of the month. And maybe appropriately so. Not so according to Jesus. Jesus is not looking for you to do anything with what he's given to somebody else. It's not about what they're called to do. It's about what you're called to do and then what we do together, again, for his name. So the one who had two multiplies two, and his master said to him, the same thing as the one with five. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Identical praise, identical words from Jesus. Though the stewardship was different, the steps were the same for each of them. Now, he had also received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you. Everyone say, I knew you. A minute ago, we talked about one of the ways that you and I learn to trust or mistrust people is by the experiences that we have or the misunderstandings about people that we have in our own hearts and lives towards them. 
And so that's one who had the one talent. He says something fundamentally different than the one with five and the one with two about the master. He believes something very different about the master. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Now, the one who had five, the one who had two, and the one who had one, all refer to the master as master. Five, two, one. They all receive a gift that they didn't earn. It's just a gift of his inheritance, of his property. But the one who had one has a different belief about who the master is. And at the end of it, he still sees himself as a steward. He says, here, you have what is yours. It's not as though he takes it and he says, it's mine. So here's what it's true of every single one of us. Every single one of us is a steward. Every single one of us. The only question that we have to examine in our lives is, are we good stewards or poor stewards? But every single one of us are stewards. Every single one of us are entrusted with things every single day. The same amount of time each and every day. See, a moment ago, we just shared how trust can be broken through misunderstandings, whether they are about a situation or someone, but ultimately, they can also be true. We can have mistrust towards God because we go through something and we define who God is based upon what it is that we go through. The servant who received five talents and two talents receive, sow, multiply in return, and they are called faithful. But the servant who is entrusted with a single talent, this is what drives his life fear. Driven by fear, and the root of their fear was a mistaken belief about the nature and the character of the master. Because this is what the master questions in Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. The servant who had one talent, remember it's just a story, declares something about the master, and the master challenges the belief that the steward has about who he is, and here's how he does it. But the master answers him. Aren't you glad that God always answers us when we pray? He answers us when we call, but his answer is not always affirming of what we want. However, it is always affirming of who he is. The master says these words, you wicked and slothful servant. Turn the person beside you and say, that's painful. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed, question mark. The question is, the underlying question to the servant is this, where did you learn that that's who I am? Every single one of us in this room have a thought or a belief about God, and every single one of us learned that from somewhere or someone, but not every thought and belief that we have about God is a true thought and belief about who God is. And so the question that needs to be raised and asked is, where did you come to believe this about the master? And if we believe things about God that we can wholeheartedly believe and be wrong, that they are untrue that those things can be challenged in our lives. You see, misunderstanding about who God is is where our spiritual enemy works diligently to deceive us. Because if the enemy can deceive us, he can drive our lives to different destinations. He can lead us down different paths. 
As we live, as you and I live, we either grow in trust or mistrust towards God. But I want to say something, and I pray that you hear it with your both ears and your whole heart, whether you're 17, 27, 37, 57, or 107. This is what is true. If you and I come to believe something untrue about God, if we as a culture come to believe something that is untrue about God, it never changes who God is, no matter how much we believe it, no matter how much we preach it, no matter how much we declare it to be so, in heaven it ain't so. You see, God is the only thing in all of creation, the only being, the only one in all of creation who requires no change. He is unchanging because you cannot improve upon perfection. Every single one of us need to be changing because none of us are perfect. Every single one of us are growing in trust and mistrust. Each and every one of us. But if we come to believe something about God that is untrue, it doesn't change God. So the question must be, what then does it change? And it changes your trust in God. It changes what you believe about who God is. What you believe about Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Sidkenu, all the various names of God. If you're new to church, like, what language is he speaking? It's a little bit of Hebrew, but it's terrible. Don't ever quote what I just did. Listen to someone who really speaks Hebrew, and you won't even understand it. I told this story before, but I was in Israel one time, and they were telling the story of Nehemiah, but they were saying his name correctly. And about the third through, I was like, oh, it's the story of Nehemiah. Why aren't they saying Nehemiah? No, they are saying Nehemiah. I'm not saying Nehemiah right now. That's not how you pronounce his name. In English, yes, not Hebrew. There's a little story for you there. You know, you were given a lot better energy during worship than you're given right now. Let me just say that right now. Like, you were like, you were gyra and you were shouting, you were you dancing. It's all good. Do you know that God loves you so much? He loves us so much that He will challenge where you believe something about Him is untrue. He will. As we live, we either grow, as I said, in trust or mistrust towards God. And if we are growing in mistrust, mistrust causes us to misuse what God has given us to steward. Did you know that as stewards, God delights to use your life to make a Jesus-sized difference in somebody else's life? I don't know if you've ever had the extraordinary honor of God using your life, but it is ultimately mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing if God whispers into your heart, I want you to give so-and-so a word of encouragement, and you give them a word of encouragement, and they look at you and say, how did you know that is exactly what I needed to hear today? It isn't what I know, it is God knows, and he uses your life to be a blessing to somebody else. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity or privilege of giving someone something financially, perhaps even in secret, that they have been praying to God, and you have been praying to God, and God independently speaks to both of you because God knows all of this and he speaks to your heart and you take a step of faith and you're like, I'm I'm just going to give it to them anonymously, put it in their mailbox. They don't even know. And they come into church next, the next Sunday going, Jaira, you are enough. 
the very thing I was praying for. And, and you never tell anyone. You just sit back a little bit. That's the second time I've sung that song this morning. Hmm. You sit back. You sit back and you're like, oh, oh my goodness. Look at how God used my life in an extraordinary way. Now, God uses our lives oftentimes in these extraordinary ways. And sometimes it's just really ordinary. But it's equally spectacular. See, as stewards, God delights to use our lives. And when God uses your life, it leaves you full. When others use your life, it may leave you depleted, not our Heavenly Father, not at all. You see, in Christ, every single one of us will give an account of 100% of our stewardship, not 10%, 100% of our stewardship. And stewardship is everything God entrusts to us. Days, our gifts, our hours, our breaths, our resources, our words, all of it. Now, here as we conclude, here is the, here comes the unfair truth regarding provision. And I want you to settle into your heart today. And here's what I want once we begin to share this. I want to settle into your heart, not this shame, nor this like striving for perfection. What I want to settle into your heart is a settled obedience, Lord, in my life, in my family's life, in, in our church's life, in our student ministry, in our kids' ministry. Lord, I want to settle in my heart on our watch, Lord, use our lives to make a Jesus-sized difference. Here's the parable that Jesus says that is true is you or I, if, everyone say if, if we are unfaithful, God will redirect your provision or my provision to another who will be faithful. Ooh. Some of us don't have the provision because we're not willing to walk in obedience. Ouch. God will raise up another church in Ottawa if we will not do what God has called us to do. I want you to imagine for a moment right now a home is on fire and there are people in the home who are in peril due to the circumstance of fire in their dwelling. I want you to imagine that. Now I want you to imagine the, all the fire individuals come and there's the captain of the, of the, fi- the, fi- the, ca- the fire captain. That was hard for me to say. Thank you very much. The fire captain is there and there's a rookie on the team in the fire department and he is also there or she is also there and they have been trained with every provision to know what to do in this moment but somehow when they hit this moment they freeze, they stop they're paralyzed in their tracks the training is there but they get stuck how many of you know that the captain in love for the people in the house will choose somebody else over the one who is frozen not because they are being dismissive of these people's feelings the mission is greater than what you feel We in the West are so concerned about how we always feel about certain things. May we get a grander vision than what we feel. And here's what I want you to know. Take that fire example, now multiply it by whatever multiply you want. It's not enough. You and I live in a world with eternal realities and eternal consequences where the stakes could not be higher. And at your work, at your school, in your university, wherever you happen to be, if you're not going to walk in faithfulness, God will raise up someone else and give them the provision because the mission is too great for us to sit in our benches or sit in our pews or sit in our seats and not be faithful with what God has entrusted to us. The, heart, the beauty of provision is in the story of the parable. We're going to read it in a moment. The one who is entrusted with one is taken from him and given to the one who is ten. 
We get our eyes on the number. Don't get your eyes on the faithfulness. It's not about the perfection of you and I following Jesus. It's about the obedience of you and I following Jesus. You are never further than one step away from your purpose at any moment, at any point in your life. Even if you feel like I've run nine million miles in the right, wrong direction, here's what I want you to know. God is a God who redeems. God is a God who restores. And even if your dream is dead, our God also specializes in resurrection. You are always one step away from obedient step away from God using your life in an extraordinary way. But you and I must see God for who he is correctly. It doesn't mean we understand everything in the scriptures correctly and the same, but who God has declared himself to be, he must forever be. Because once again, it doesn't really matter if you and I change who God is. It doesn't change who God is. But it profoundly affects how we trust him and how we walk out. God is our source, and he uses blessed people to be a blessing to other people. If you pray for finances, here's what I promise you will not happen. God will not make counterfeit currency and put it in your wallet. Some of you are like, I wish he would. That's a criminal offense there. (laughs) He will not do that. So if you pray for blessing, you know what he'll do though? He'll use other people to get finances to you. Hey, some of you, some of you, your provision and your purpose line up. So what you work in every day, what provides you your life, your income, all those things, lines up with your purpose. To God be the glory. Others of you have a job or a career that you would say, it's my job or my career. It's, it's, it's not really my purpose. No, but it's your provision to live out your purpose. And one is not more anointed than the other. Some of you, God has provided you a job and a career, but it may not just be about the job and the career, but it is the provision to your life to do what God has called you to do, entrusted with all these things. So provision can be any number of people or our employer or people who buy goods, buy goods, whatever. Quick little thought here. We have time to season it, and then we've got to move on. I want you to think of the Old Testament for a moment. There was this group of individuals called the children of Israel. While they were in the wilderness, God provided manna for them, and he also provided quail. In the first service, I said fish. That was wrong. <laughs> Bread and birds. God provides. Manna and quail, God provides. You with me? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Until we as humans are like, I don't want any more bread. I'm done with the bird. Right? That's this human condition. But God provides. Then they get into the promised land. And guess what? The provision changes. Now God says to them, I'm not giving you bread and I'm not giving you birds. The provision is work the land. (laughs) if I had all the money in the world I would give it to you right now (laughs) work is a four letter word but it's not a bad one Work in Genesis comes before the fall therefore work is not a curse it is a blessing 
I'm not saying your job and your work isn't a curse and not a blessing, but work itself, it isn't. Sometimes the way God will provide will be birds and bread, miraculously. Most times it will be work the land, which is equally promised in provision. It's just different. Jireh, he's enough. Matthew 25, 28, 29. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given, well, more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, from the one who will not walk in obedience, the one who will not walk in faithfulness, even what he has will be taken away. Not because God is trying to be mean, because God loves the world. This may be a new thought for some of you. God's profound affection towards you is no different than the million plus people who live in the national capital region. His love for them is equal. For God so loved the people of the world that He gave the ultimate provision, the gift of His Son, which is greater than five, two, or one talent. It is more worthy and weighty. In this parable, Jesus praises obedience, not outcomes. You're not responsible for how the story turns out, but you are responsible for your step within it. You can't cause anyone else to come to Christ. You can't make anybody else a follower of Christ. Only the work of the Spirit can do that. But you can share your story. You can articulate the gospel You can pray for them. You can show them the difference. You know one of the most profound ways that you can show a lost and broken world the difference that Jesus has made in your life is when you don't get it right. And you in humility confess that. Ooh. Confession in your workplace, I guarantee you, will be a foreign language. Hey, just forgive me, you know, as a follower of Christ, that's, I said this, I did this, and The Lord convicted me of that, and that's not not the way I want to live my life, and that's not, hey, would you forgive me? Your office might be like, what? You never know the seeds that are being sown in those moments. In this parable, he shares how trust and mistrust will direct our beliefs, which ultimately will guide our behavior. Jesus shows us a day where everything that we have been entrusted with, we will be held to account, and he tells us his purpose is accomplished by faithful, not always perfect, but faithful people. And faithful is those who grow in trusting his character and his ways enough to live a life of faith. And so, loved ones, when life becomes unclear and the future is uncertain, and we find ourselves living through crisis after crisis, together we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, seeing the horrendous massacre that occurred with our brothers and sisters there in church. Crisis after crisis, not just in this nation, but each nation of the world. When life becomes unclear and the future is uncertain and we live through crisis after crisis or we experience in life circumstances that aren't fair, may you hide this word in your heart. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 to 8 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, not just your Sunday ways, in all your ways acknowledge Him. And he will make straight your paths. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Oh, the Lord opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If the body of Christ is not humbled by now, we ain't listening. Be not wise in our own eyes. Fear the Lord, not in an unhealthy way, in this way. We fear the Lord when we turn from evil. And when we do, man, it's better than Netflix. It's better than a vacation. It's better than anything else we do to disconnect from the pressures of this world that says it'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. For God to build your house, for God to build this house, He needs to be Savior, but He also needs to be leader. In the West, we don't have a big problem, especially in the church, we don't have a huge problem with Jesus as Savior. We have a different problem with Jesus as leader, as Lord of our lives. Because the truth is, whoever is leading your steps is ultimately the one that you are trusting to build your house. The rains are coming, the floods are rising. And if it is shown that a part of our lives or the whole of our lives have been built on sand and not rock, a wise one would not rebuild where we are if it is sand, but we would build upon Christ so that if we're going to build or rebuild, though the winds come, and the storms are going to rage, that our church and our lives will be built on an unchanging rock of who God is. He is faithful and He is true. I'm going to invite you to put your hands out in front of you like this as I pray. And if as I'm praying and you're listening, in your heart agreeing, if your answer and your desire is yes, then at the end of this prayer, I want you just to stand as we finish in song. Not now, at the end. Jesus, we desire to be more like you. Holy Spirit, empower us to use all that you have entrusted to us. We commit to abide in your love. Lord, would you be so gracious as to use our lives to heal broken relationships, hearts, minds, and bodies. As we pray fervently and trust your word as ultimate truth, Lord, would you form us and shape us. Give us hearts quick to surrender to you, strong to resist darkness, and equally tender towards others, in particular those who do not yet know you. Lord, we choose to love and not to judge, to build up and not to break down. We choose to grow in loving one another, specifically as you are actively loving us right now. Jesus, revive and send us to a lost and broken world until the city of Ottawa, the national capital region, looks like heaven. Our prayer is singular. Holy Spirit, come again and again. Fill us again and again. Lord, you can use my life, my time, my gifts, and my resources to build your house. In Jesus' name we pray.